Our communion meditation is from Colossians. So we're starting a new series today. And earlier I made the mistake in front of Tom of mentioning that I was just going to be teaching from Colossians, or just Colossians. And then Phil said, ooh, that's a tough book. So see, when you do communion meditations, though, you get to skip the parts that are tough and let Phil do those later. <laughs> so let's hear God's word. I'll read from Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that uh, these saints, these dear ones that Paul was ministering to in Colossae, uh, were real. And we pray, Lord, that we will see them one day in heaven and speak of how this book came to be uh, written to them. We thank you now for the time that we have together, the time that we have on this earth, and we pray, Lord, that you would bless us and use us in the building up of your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. So as this is a brand new start to something, I want to give some background. Uh, Colossae was a major city hundreds of years before the time of Christ and the apostles. And during the Persian Empire, it was a major city in the area, but by this time it's declined quite a bit. There are other more populous cities around it. Hierapolis, uh, just to the west, about 10 miles. Ephesus, to the west, about another 100 miles. And then to the east, far east, was Lystra. But it was here in the middle of what now we would consider Western Turkey that uh, there was this church founded, most likely on Paul's third missionary journey. And so it was founded uh, fairly late in Paul's ministry, really. And yet he was based out of Ephesus during this period, and he apparently ministered all over that area and founded this church. Uh, this book of Colossians has uh, kind of strong overlap with Ephesians. It sounds similar as you read chapters, but there are distinct differences in uh, the two books. And perhaps you've read Colossians and Ephesians enough to know and appreciate and value these uh, differences. Uh, they are just wonderful books. These four books especially, the General Electric Power Company is how I remember it, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, these are just four of the best books of the Bible, this, this heart of Paul's uh, New Testament epistles. So this was written most likely after he'd been imprisoned in Rome. So he's uh, writing it while imprisoned in Rome. It's probably only about six, seven, eight years after the forming of the church. And I want to now get into just a little bit of the text. We're only going to cover verses 1 and 2, so there's no hurry. Paul, an apostle. And so he begins all of this. Paul, we know, emphasizes the fact that he was an apostle. He considered himself an apostle born out of time. And yet, really, we've kind of come to uh, understand and accept him as like the super apostle. He was the apostle's apostle, if you will. And he was a hand-picked spokesperson for God on this earth. Uh, what a tremendous privilege. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ is so common and familiar to us that we do, I think, tend to think of it as first name, last name. 
and we know that is not true. Really, it's an abbreviated form of Jesus, the Christ. So Jesus is his name. It was his given name, and he was uh, proscribed that name by an angel from heaven. You will name him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. And so Jesus means Savior. And so Jesus, Savior, the, and then Christ means Messiah or the anointed one. And so Christos is the Greek equivalent of the Messiah, the anointed one from the Old Testament. So Jesus Christ is the Savior, the anointed one. Now, the Gospels reflect this truth, and yet the Gospels really, it's only mentioned a few times. And when it's mentioned that Jesus is the Christ, it's awesome. When uh, Andrew first introduces uh, Simon, his brother, to the fact that uh, the Messiah has come, that's what he says. He says, this is the Christ. And he had been following John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is saying this, and so then he brings him to Simon, and Simon says this, Andrew says this, Simon says this. And so, but in the Gospels, there's just this awesome reality, acceptance of the fact, disbelief, really, of the fact. It took the apostles their whole time with Jesus to really come to a full understanding of that. And even at his death, they were still really unaware of just what it meant that he was the Christ. But by the time we read these letters, in the book of Acts, it, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Christ, it's just so powerfully represented and assumed. And yet Paul hammers it every time. Every one of these four books that I mentioned, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, uh, Paul doesn't want anybody to forget it. Savior, Messiah, Savior, Messiah. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And so we know some, uh, somewhat about Timothy. He was converted in Lystra, the city that I mentioned is like 100 miles east of what we're talking about here in Colossae. And he was young at the time of his conversion on most likely Paul's first missionary journey. We read about it in Acts. And he had been brought up in the faith by his uh, mother and grandmother. And yet he was of service to Paul throughout Paul's ministry. And it's him who is here with Paul, uh, identifying with him in his chains, Paul says, because increasingly believers abandoned Paul. Because just as they, the apostles, had fled Christ when he was arrested, you have the uh, believers now with the apostles who are tempted to flee from them as they come under increasing persecution uh, throughout the, the uh, 60 ADs. But yet here he is, faithful to the end. And then we read in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus Christ repeated with the fact that he is our Lord. He is our King, our ruler. And grace to you and peace. I love it when we uh, do this blessing at the start of our service, and we hadn't always done that consistently. I only started doing it after uh, Michael Elliott had led many services, and he started doing it. And I was really taken with the fact that we ought to pronounce a blessing upon people when we begin the worship services. And so now we've been doing that regularly for, I don't know, several years at least. So now, the name of my message today, however, is kind of different. I've given you a bunch of background on the book, but the title of this message is Caring Enough to Write. 
the formality of letter writing is really largely absent from our world right now. Very few of us write letters in a diligent manner to people that we're fully thinking out our thoughts and presenting them in this way where we want to influence them. We want to bless them in a very real way with what it is that we're writing. Some cases we might want to rebuke people with what we're writing, but we often want to encourage them. We want to express our love to them. We want to convince them of something that we hold dear and true. Uh, Ronald Reagan, a man I admire greatly, uh, was known for being a letter writer. He is thought to have written uh, more than 10,000 personal letters in his lifetime. And I remember I read a biography of him years ago. I couldn't find the reference. I was looking for it. But uh, he had written to an old school teacher of his, and he'd written to this woman for like 40 years. There is a record of their dialogue over the years, all throughout his political career and some of his acting career early on, of his dialogue with his former teacher. Uh, he had written many, many love letters to his wife, and some of these are very moving. Um, each anniversary, at least, he would write to her, and it was very, uh, very special. Uh, most of us not only don't write letters, we don't even read letters. How many of us get letters in the mail that we don't read? And I believe I know why I don't read these letters. I just get so tired of people hitting me up for money. Rodney, 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 you know, where have you been all my life? <laughs> and then it's just a long diatribe wanting money from me. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it's not that I don't like you. I like your ministry. I, I like what you're doing. But I'm not going to send you money in this little envelope you've given me every time you send me one of these letters. And so I just get tired of reading letters. And I have to admit I'm somewhat uh, rebuked in this regard because just about three weeks ago I got a letter. And some of you probably have a letter from Field and Hearth. Do you know Todd Adams and his ministry? You may have received a letter from Field and Hearth. And so I got it, and it's sitting there on the counter, as many mail does, until it disappears because Tabitha's moved it somewhere, and I really am just glad it's out of sight, out of mind. But this one, uh, she was gone. She was off in uh, California during that period, and so I read it. I was very moved by this letter. If you have not read this letter, if you received it and tossed it aside like many of us do, I encourage you to go home and read it. It is a wonderful letter. It was written by their oldest son, who's in medical training right now. And yet, I wanted to share a portion of what he wrote because letters can be restored, to me anyway, to this type of impact. If letters were this impactful upon me, I think I would read more of them, and I would be encouraged to write them to people, like I said, that I love, that I want to influence. And so I want to read you a portion of what he wrote. This is like in the middle of his letter. If there is one constant, now actually I should perhaps mention to you, Todd Adams is a missionary kind of within our elder community within the CPC, and he ministers to ministers for the most part. He ministers as a missionary in the Magdalene Islands up in, uh, up in I think it's Hudson Bay up in the Quebec area, but uh, he also ministers to those that are worn out in uh, teaching and preaching the gospel. He ministers to pastors. And this is in the middle of one of his letters. If there is one constant in the life of the counselor and those with whom he works, 
It is the reality of dullness of heart, the gospel amnesia in the dimming light of first love, the spiritual cataracts from the wear and tear from the world that gradually, ever so innocently, blinds our eyes to the beckoning of the Master. We become engrossed in what we are doing. We turn from the Master to focus on the task, the project, the rushing around. We forget that we are human beings, not human doings. And when I read that, it was very uh, moving to me because I feel like I've I have definitely slipped away from the Lord in the last couple of years. And Todd's letter to me, his son, but I'm sure Todd had, had a veto approval of this letter going out. But this letter really affected me. It caused me to want to be a better person, a better Christian. better husband, a better father, a better elder. But this doesn't just happen. It's good that I want this. It's good that this letter moved me in such a way. But that often happens when I read God's Word. And yet, I do not change. I do not seek the Lord as I ought to. I do not Arise in the morning, glad to be alive, glad to be back in God's presence and seek Him, seek to spend time with Him. You know, the Puritan spoke of this trysting place, and I have no trysting place. I don't seek that out with the Lord anymore. As a new believer, and at times throughout my Christian life, oh, the sweet times of fellowship with the Lord. But that does not typify my present, my present Christian life. And so I must face that. And I must admit to that, and I must encourage all of us to not allow that to be the case. This is a new year. This is the first Sunday of 2016. We're still alive. A friend of mine, his eight-year-old daughter just passed away a few weeks ago. She'll never see 2016. Other people won't either. And so we should cherish the time that we have on this earth. So as we come to the communion table today, I want us all to acknowledge that what we most desire and should desire in this earth is a better relationship with the Lord. To use the time that we have here to uh, even just selfishly for ourselves, as John Piper likes to stress, to us have this desire and awaken this desire within us and spend that time with the Lord. We ought not be satisfied with less. And so I encourage you, I encourage myself and my family uh, both my immediate family and my church family, uh, to grow in your desire to be with God this year. And our opportunity, our first opportunity to kind of uh, commit to that is as we come to the table, sacrifice sins and embrace the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that we can enter into your presence uh, at any time. It just means that we have to set aside the cares of this world and it doesn't have to be for days or weeks. We don't have to be hermits in this. 
Father, I pray that you would give us the resolve to want to grow in our uh, relationship with you and attend to that trysting place where we can meet with you, where we can uh, have sweet fellowship with you. And I pray, Father, that we would uh, cast aside sin and the cares of this world each day to where we will embrace you and embrace the relationship that we have with you, that we would not allow this world to steal that from us. We give you thanks, Father. We give you thanks for the relationship that we have, the salvation that we have to look forward to in heaven with you, but the salvation that we experience now with you in the restored relations. We give you thanks for this. In Christ's name, amen.